Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, saints. Praise the Lord, saints. Hallelujah. We are in the season. We are in the season of Advent today. I'm so grateful to be in the season of Advent. Peace be upon you. You know, the angel said, peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Peace on earth. That was an declar interesting declaration that the birth of Jesus would be ushered in with this declaration of peace. So what do I say to you now? Peace be unto you and unto your houses, to your families, that even when the storms of life, I am still saying peace. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to read one scripture. I have a lot to talk about today. But I'm not going to be long, but it's going to be a lot to talk about. I hope that makes sense. I'm going to go speak one verse to you from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 7. Verse 7, and, chapter 7 and verse 7. Just one verse, and I'm going to explain everything around the verse in a moment. Isaiah chapter 7, the prophet we've been reading from recently, and verse 7. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Please take your seats. Amen. That's this whole verse. Amen. Take your seats. Isaiah chapter 7 is a wonderful scripture and it's actually very appropriate to the season we're in today. We start to get a prophecy of who Jesus is in chapter 7. Um, I'm going to tie this back to um, uh, the St. John chapter 1 we've been talking about in St. John chapter 2 in a moment. Um, what's an interesting moment here in the history of Israel that is important, important pre-moment for what's going to happen in Judah. I need to give you a little bit of history lesson here, a biblical history lesson. I hope you'll, you'll be patient with me as I lay this out a little bit. Israel used to be one whole country made up of 12 tribes of Israel. That's how it started. When you see Saul and David being kings of Israel, they're kings over a united kingdom of Israel. But that doesn't last very long. It doesn't last very long after Solomon. In fact, the kingdom splits up and becomes two nations with two kings. It has a king of Israel and a king of Judah. Those are the two countries in history that move forward. What's interesting about this is Israel turns away from God almost immediately. None of the kings are helpful to God. None of them promote the one true God. They encourage idolatry. They do all kinds of things. Meanwhile, Judah, for hundreds of years, still maintains a close relationship with God. When we read from the prophet Isaiah, he is speaking to the kings of Judah very specifically to the kings of Judah, not to the kings of Israel. They're doing their own thing. They've long since left, and it's almost like it's two sets of people living in one land. And chapter seven starts by talking about the king of Judah, but he also references the king of Israel. The king of Israel has decided to take sides with Syria, the Assyrian Empire, and they've decided together Let's go take over Judah. Israel has 10 tribes, it's the bigger territory. Judah only has two tribes, it's Judah and Benjamin. The two tribes of Judah are in that land. And what has happened is the king of Israel has decided, 
I, I don't like the king of Judah. In fact, it's Ahaz, I believe. Ahaz is the king of Judah in chapter 7. Yes. And the king of, king of Israel says, I'm going to make an alliance with the Assyrian Empire and go against Judah because we don't like the king. In fact, we want to replace him and put somebody else in his place that we can control so they can control both Israel and Judah. And the verse I read to you was none other than the Lord's response to this plan. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up this morning, because I realized this morning when I was, this week when I was reading this scripture, there are really two types of people that come against you. And there's one kind that I'm gonna call for this morning, the Assyrians. They were never your friends in the first place. Right, they were your enemies from the beginning. Like we've never got along. So when they say something bad about me, ah, it's kind of water off the duck's back. Because I've heard it all before. You never were friends with me in the first place. You were always jealous. You were always envious. You never liked me. It's a bit more hurtful, honestly, when it comes from Israel. We were supposed to be one people. We were supposed to be family. We were supposed to be friends. But you've created this alliance with the Assyrians and you've decided to come against the people of God. And the word of the Lord has come to Isaiah and he said, I want you to speak to Judah. The Lord has taken sides. The Lord is on our side. And what does verse four say? Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stop. They plan to come against you. They plan to destroy you. They've done it with friends and enemies, but the Lord is saying, it shall not stand. <laughs> it sh neither shall it come to pass. They had a plan to uproot you. They had a plan to upend you, but it will not come to pass. I don't care what the enemy throws at us today. <laughs> I just don't care. I don't care if it's friends, I don't care if it's enemies, I don't care if we've never been friends, I don't care if we just were best friends yesterday. It shall not come to pass and it will not stand. The Lord has spoken it this morning. Thank you Lord Jesus. I don't want you to worry about anything. The word of the Lord is coming to, look, what was going to happen was going to happen. The Lord sent the word not to make what happened happen, but to let you know what's going to happen, right? So if it was always going to be all right, the only reason why I'm going to tell you is because I want you to be all right with what it is. The word of the Lord is coming to you not to change what is going to happen, but to assure you of what is going to happen. You see what I'm saying? The Lord never intended Judah to be taken over by Israel and by the Assyrians. But he let, needs to let them know, don't you worry and don't you fret. I'm going to do something for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It won't stand. I know sometimes it's worrying to get those people talking against you. I know it's worrying for them to say those things that truly do hurt at your core. I'm not taking away from the hurt. I'm just here to tell you that the Lord is will not let it stand and it will not come to pass. Amen. It will not come to pass. There was a plan put in place. The Assyrians 
conspired. They said to themselves, we're going to replace King Ahaz. We're going to put a puppet king in place for him and we're going to be able to control the whole region. And the Lord said, no, it's not going to happen. So that's what the setup was. And the Lord says to, to Ahaz, says, do you want a sign that I'm going to take care of you? And Ahaz says, no, Lord, I don't even, I believe you. You don't even have to send me a sign. It's like, you don't even have to send me a sign. But, but the Lord said to, to, back to Ahaz, this isn't a worry for me to give you a sign. It's not, you don't weary me by asking for a sign. So in verse 14, the word of the Lord comes in chapter 7, verse 14. And this is what the Lord's response to Ahaz is. He says, I know you have concerns here. But I am going to give a sign to you. And this is what verse 14 says. Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz. He says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. I'm getting to my advent of this moment and this season here. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? I know you do. Emmanuel means God with us. In fact, the word is a Hebrew word, obviously, but it's, it's a it's single word made up of three. Im means with, nu means us, and el means God, almighty one, right? So it says, im, we, with, us in in man ul god with us so it literally translates as with us is god with us is the mighty one that's what it literally translates to we're going to have a child conceived of a virgin and we're going to refer to them as emmanuel god with us you want to know how much the Lord loves Judah. He's saying, I'm going to make God with you. Literally, there will be born into you God with us. That's why every chance I get, I just glorify God in, through Jesus, his son. Amen. God with us. Wonderful. So let's go back to St. John if we can. St. John chapter 1, which is really... Uh, where I've started this. Let's go to St. John chapter 1, verse uh, 14, just for a second. <laughs> you remember how it started off in St. John chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning was the Word. This logos, this concept of the thought. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The thought of the concept was God. See, when this gospel was written, and it was written, and people from Jewish um, descent would have read these words, they would have said, yeah, in the beginning was the word, that's right. I remember Genesis chapter 1 says, God created the heavens. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And in fact, the Greeks who were around at the time, well, Romans, they would have thought the same thing. They said, yeah, in the beginning, order was brought by the word. The, the contention comes about, not with verse 1. The contention comes around with verse 14. <laughs> and the word was made flesh. But we already know Isaiah knew this was coming. God with us. 
right? He was saying right from Isaiah, this is going to happen. And St. John picked up on that same thing and he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally walked around with us, lived with us, dressed like us, drank like us, ate like us, became one of us, suffered like us, was happy like us. Can you imagine the magnitude of this moment? Now this is where both our Jewish brothers and sisters and the Greek brothers and sisters wouldn't understand, but this is the revelation of God, that Jesus came down in flesh, clothed in flesh, so that we might have life. You know, what I was also thinking about this week, and I'll finish my thought here, what I was thinking about this week is how auspicious and how grand, how big, like, we started with, in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, and he became flesh and dwelt among us. Wonderful, but it's almost too big for me. It's almost like, how can he surely care about me if it's that big? If he was the one who spoke the universe into existence, I don't know if you've ever seen the scale of what the sun looks like compared to the earth. It's tiny, and the, the sun is massive. And then you look at something like Jupiter, and that's even bigger. And you look at something like Saturn, and that's massive. And like, then you say, well, in the universe, we sit as a grain of sand on a huge beach. And then how can you care about me? But, but then I say to myself, chapter 2, when we get to St. John chapter 2, I'm realizing he cares an awful lot. Let, let's go to St. John chapter 2 just for a second. Look, the, the, the layout of the gospel is not by accident. It's not an accident at all. So after he's just explained to us the, the grandness of who God is, coming into flesh, you know what the first miracle John wants to talk about? Turning water into wine. And I'm like, wait, how is that the miracle we go into? We just talked about Jesus as being in the beginning, creating all things, becoming flesh, and the first miracle you want to talk about is at a wedding feast where they run out of wine. This must have happened a thousand million times in all of creation, right? Like this has got to be the most common occurrence. Well, we've had a, we're at a, an event and we've run out of food. We've run out of drink. Like how is that? But then I realized, this is when I realized that how God loves us, he's as big as all the universe, but he's concerned about you. That's the only thing I can get from why you would put chapter two next to chapter one. He's grand and has brought all things into existence, but he wants a specific relationship with you. He wants relationship with you. Let's just read St. John chapter 2 together. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. <laughs> Both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Why was Jesus in there? He was invited. That's why. Jesus was at a marriage in Cana because he was, he was invited. He was simply invited. I want to invite Jesus into more things, not less. Like, I want him in my classroom. I want him on my job. Like, we, we, we stopped inviting him into 
areas that he's fully qualified to be wow. in. Fully qualified. Come on, sir. Like, yes. I want him in my relationships. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I want him in my family. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, sir. I want him when the electrician comes over to fix the furnace. I want him in everything. You say, well, why is it a wedding? Doesn't he have more important things to do? No, the people of God are at the wedding. Therefore, it's important for him to be at the wedding. He's not too big to be caring about you. He is that big and still cares. Wow, come on, sir. Yes, sir. Wherever the disciples and Mary choose to be, and you decide to invite him in, that's exactly where he's supposed to be. I'm inviting him into everything. Yes, sir. I can't need repair. I'm invite the Lord into that. You see, look, if a wedding's that much of a big deal to him, I don't know why car repairs yes, shouldn't yes, be. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm inviting him. You know, it was a bishop, I think he said, uh, one of the bishops once said, I forget which one. He said, if I get a Snickers bar, I'm giving thanks for the Snickers bar. I can't remember it was Bishop Day. I can't remember who it was. But I'm giving thanks. For, I'm inviting the Lord in. When I'm gonna, if you prepare me a meal, I'm gonna say thank you to you and thank you to the Lord. <laughs> I'm inviting him in. So let's keep reading here. Both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. Now, I don't wanna to get too, much deep, too deep into this, but wine represents gladness and joy. Look at Psalms 104. I think it's verse 14, 15 just for a second. So this represents gladness and joy. Not talking about drunkenness, we're talking about joy and gladness, right? What does 1 of 14 and 15 say? Be, he causes the grass to grow yep. for the cattle yep. and herb yes. for the service of man. Yes. That, be, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. And wine that maketh glad yes. the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengthened in a man's So heart. what does wine do? Yes, sir. Makes glad. Yes, sir. Makes glad. Yes, sir. Ever had something nice to eat and nice to drink? Yes, Say, oh, woo, that was good. When we were young, Amen. Amen. and my mom used to give me a, the dumpling, off her, the last piece of dumpling off her plate, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. was the best. With gravy on it. That make you dance. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Gladness. Yes, it just makes you happy. Yes, yes, yes. Being with people. I'm not again. I don't. I'm not talking about drunkenness because the scripture speaks against that. I'm talking about just being out with friends and enjoy. And what happens during the middle of this wedding? The gladness, the joy runs out. The wine has gone. That means the ability to be glad in that moment has gone with it. <laughs> and Jesus is here with the disciples and with his mothers and this is the opportunity for the first miracle it seems strange until you realize that God of the universe is the, and the God of the mountain is the God of the valley right the one that was the creator is the one that lover of your soul he loves you so what does his mother do <laughs> And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, said to Jesus, they have no wine. That's all she says to him. I learned something new this week as well. There was an interesting dynamic here that I don't want you to repeat for yourselves. 
This is only possible if you are the king of glory. Because his response to his mother isn't something any of us should risk our lives to do. So Jesus' response was, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Apparently, Mary must have understood the relationship too. Because she doesn't say anything to him. She turns from him to the serpent. His mother saith unto the servant, in verse 5, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Like, to me, when I heard Jesus' response, that was as good as a no. That to me, if I was in a friendship with you and you said, what has that got to do with me? And that's the end of it. I'd be like, okay, he's not going to help. Right? Mary didn't think that though. She heard those words and turned around and said, whatever he says to do, do it. (laughs) I think sometimes we get our conscience tells us no and we run with the no. But you invited Jesus in. You may as well ask him to do wow. something now. He's here. Come on, preacher. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Says he's here. Oh, my. He's here now. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And even if it sounds like a no, I'm gonna wow. I'm gonna act like he's gonna do it anyway. Yes, sir. Come on, preacher. Oh my. Oh, it sounded like a no to me, but I'm just gonna act with faith and start acting as if he's going to do it anyway. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna act like he's gonna do it anyway. It feels like a no, but have a guess what? I'm going to start acting like it's a yes. And when he does it, I'm going to glory in him. Too many times we give up when it sounds like a no. And I'm trying to realize, man, that no may have been a maybe. Let me just act. Let me act like it's a yes. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Sometimes we ask for things and hear the first no when we stop asking. You know, um, you remember Lisa Hickman? She used to ask unashamedly for things. The crazy thing is, she used to get it. Her dad used to say, no, Lisa, we're not doing that. Dad, but please, dad, but please, dad, 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 please, 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 please. And then eventually he would say, well, yeah, go on ahead. He may as well have said yes the first time. Stop taking the maybe in the nose to be no forever. It might be just no now. I'm going to believe on the Lord Jesus. I've invited him in. I've invited him in. May as well ask him now. So Mary turns around and says to the servants, she doesn't even acknowledge the, it doesn't sound like it's going to be good. She turns to the servant and says, whatever he says to do, just do it. Verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Okay, so there's these huge pots that are part of Jewish custom. Whenever they go in and out of of a ceremony or of an area, they'll wash ceremonially. It's not to get actually clean, it's to actually show that they are purifying themselves. It's ceremonial cleaning. It doesn't need anything other than the water. So, at a wedding feast, to come into it, you'd have to have lots and lots of water. You need lots and lots of water to cater for all the guests that are coming in, washing themselves and joining the wedding feast. I've got to come in, wash my hands, wash my feet, 
and come into the wedding feast. So there's lots of jars around to cater for this. Right, this was the ceremonial response to washing. And Jesus has turned around in the wedding feast that he was invited to and said, what can I use to solve this problem? So he takes the ceremonial jars used for something completely different. Not what you would expect to get wine from. It's designed for water for ceremonial purposes. And that's what the Lord uses to bring gladness back into the occasion. <laughs> I'm no longer surprised what the Lord's going to use when I've invited him into these new places. <laughs> he may use somebody you didn't expect to bring you a word. And you say, well, wait, he doesn't even believe like I believe. How is he encouraging my spirit? Wait a minute. The Lord said, oh, you invited me in. I'm going to use whatever's available. <laughs> he doesn't even love the Lord like I do. How is he encouraging my spirit? The Lord said, look, those ceremonial plots were never getting you clean. But I'm going to use them to get you glad. You see how the Lord can just use anything? See, now I'm starting to understand why he did use a wedding. He's telling us, I am salvation to you. I am salvation to you. The rocks don't need helping. The fields don't need helping. The forests are going to be fine. You need the help. You need it when you're at your job. You need it when you're on the road. You need it when you're waiting at the bus stop. Everywhere we need to invite the Lord in and he will start saving us using things we'd never recognized for saving. The pots for washing is where we're going to get the wine. Wait, how is that possible? Anything is possible when you invite him in. Like, I'm trying to figure out really what Mary was thinking. Like, how did she expect him to fix it? Like, she didn't even, I know she never thought that far along. And I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. You're saying, Lord, how can you fix this? I'm asking you to stop giving yourself the burden of trying to figure out how the Lord is gonna fix the problem for you. That's his problem. Like, take the burden off yourself and give it to him. Let him figure out how it's going to resolve yes. for you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Gosh, how am I going to get out of this problem, this situation, this moment? Thank you, oh, but the Lord Thank is going to work it out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's going to take the unusual thing the unusual. and make it yes. full yes, of joy and gladness yes, for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> no one was even thinking about pots <laughs> until Jesus introduced the idea. I can get you some wine from that. And look at the response. I'm coming down. When the ruler of the feast, sorry, let me go to verse, verse 7. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. There's something to be said about obedience. Like if the Lord said to do it, oh, I'm going to do it right. Can you imagine if they came there with, with things, this much water, and well, I'll put some in there, Lord. Do what you're going to do. No, 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 I'm filling to the brim. Whatever you're about to do, I'm going to make sure it's done right. I imagine still at this moment, they had no idea what was going to happen. 
Fill yes, water, sure, okay. What do you plan to do with this? <laughs> he said, to fill it, they said, let me fill it to the brim then. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know what also the obedience did here? Made sure they had more wine. Yes. Had they filled it to just a quarter, that's how much wine you would have got. Yes, but they said, let me fill it to the brim. With obedience, yes, not knowing how, where, when the Lord was gonna fix or resolve this issue, but because of obedience, they had more wine than they needed. A firkin, I think, is between 80 to 100 liters per pot. So that's a lot of water, that's a lot of wine, right? So let's go to verse eight. He says, and, this, and, and he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. At this point, I assume it's wine, but I'm not sure that they know it's wine. This is a second act of faith to take what I've just filled with water, to take it out and give it to the person who's in charge of the whole feast and give him a cup, right? And they hand it to him and this is what the governor says. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water out water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. This wine tasted so good, he stopped everything. We're gonna talk about this wine. We're gonna, we're gonna take a, I know we're at a marriage feast, but let's take a second to talk about what it is. And this, to me, is what joy is. People wanna talk about the joy you have. When he brings the gladness back, they say, well, why are you so excited this morning? Because he has given me gladness. He has given me joy. I'm so happy and excited this morning because he's given me this. I want to talk about, I want to stop everything and talk about the joy. That's what we have today. And let's go keep reading. And he says, and he says unto him, every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. Everybody gets the good wine at the beginning. Everybody does that. And when men have well drunk, when they've had enough to drink, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. That means what Jesus produced was better than their best. There is a type of joy that the world has. Oh, you can have at that joy, but the very best joy. The very best joy is in Jesus. And it's gonna come from unusual places, things not even meant to bring you joy. But the Lord is gonna bring you joy and it's gonna be the best joy. Let me just finish off this here. Verse 10, he says, kept the good until now. Verse 11, this is the beginning of miracles Jesus did did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. The beginning. This is how it started. At a wedding feast, Jesus was invited to. <laughs> Seems like it was almost random, but this is deliberate and purposeful. And manifested forth what? Let's just go back to St. John chapter one, verse 14. Just to be very clear, this is John writing both chapter one and chapter two. What does St. John chapter 1 say? Verse 14. And the word was made flesh. Yes. And dwelt among us. And behold, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten. Stop the right there. Yes, sir. So you mean when we are talking about God made flesh, yes, 
and we are talking about glory in chapter one, in chapter two, when we are talking about his glory, we're talking about make turning water into wine at a wedding feast. The first time we talk about God's glory, I'm saying he loves you, 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 individually. And the thing that's going to make you happy is the thing that brings him glory. I see, I see. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is the God of the mountain, the God of the universe, the God of the entire seeing visible, anything that's seen and visible. But he's the God of your heart. And he loves you, desires good things for you, even if it's as simple as I'm out of wine and it's my wedding day. And the Lord is saying, I'm loving you in that. I want to bring you joy even in your smallest thing. That's why I love the God of the mountain and the valley. Because he is both. Even when I was at the top of the mountain, I love him there. When it's the Snickers bar I just want, I love him there. When he gets me a house, I love him there. When the sun shines, I love him there. He's the God of the mountain and the God of the valley. He is God with us. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word.